All right, we're going to go to John chapter 14 as we get to the end of Jesus' life. And there's not many chapters in the Bible that I like more than these coming three. John 14, 15, and 16. Even into John 17 where he prays. The primary reason that it touches me is because this would be like Jesus' disciples sitting in front of him with some order of magnitude recognizing that even from the early the chapters right before this and the conversations right before this, that Jesus had slipped into something amazingly serious. That he is opening up his mouth and revealing his heart for the very last time. Jesus is now days away from the crucifixion when this is going on. He's having this private conversation with his disciples. And you realize as this thing moves on, 14 into 15 into 16 into 17, that the disciples quit talking. There's a point where, like over in John, at the very end of this, there's one more thing said. But you recognize that the questions they have, the conversation that they have as this thing begins, them asking questions gives way to them sitting there at Jesus' feet and him opening his heart and telling them the most deep and profound things that they need to know. These are amazingly powerful words. This is the kind of stuff that our faith builds so solidly on this kind of foundation. Jesus begins to open his heart in John chapter 14. It's funerals we hear it taught over and over, and I'm not going to be extensive in what I'm going to say. This is the kind of scripture that doesn't require a lot of commentary. It's pretty straightforward. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I don't even know, as a disciple, how I would begin to process what he just said. But he started with the most important thing. One of the most interesting things that has come out of the prophecies of two weeks ago, and I, I have the pleasure of visiting with a lot of people about their prophecies, but a small percentage of them are troubled. A small percentage of them trying to do something, as, you know, as Parker gave great guidance not to do. You can't take that prophecy and begin to take it apart and try to figure out what it means. You have to pursue the one who spoke it. It's entirely different result. If you try to take it apart, then you're going to read your meaning into all of those things, trying to assign responsibility, things that you need to be doing. And I have dealt with a few, I dealt with one on Sunday. And the words that kind of come out are these words, let not your heart be troubled. What he just spoke to you was designed to build you up. We heard Rhea said, if it's tearing you down, something's wrong. It was designed to build you up. If it's got gloom attached to it, it's not God. Go back. Talk to him about it, because he had a purpose in building you up. There was no heaviness designed in those statements. So you recognize that Jesus is telling these people, I'm fixing to tell you something. But I want to tell you first, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. I think they, at this time, had begun to have a grasp of who Jesus was. But you can tell by the question that, Philip is fixing to ask, that that understanding wasn't complete yet, that Jesus was still explaining this reality, because it would sound strange for us 
But every one of us here who carry the name Christian, if we say that I'm a believer, that I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ and I have been saved, we too can make this statement. You believe in God, believe also in me. Am I elevating myself to the position of, of Jesus? In a thousand ways, no. In one way, yes. The Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus is the Holy Spirit that lives in me. Does that make me equal with him? I don't think I would ever make that claim. I ought to be able to tell the world, if you believe in God, you ought to look at me and see such consistency with him. You ought to see a life that lines up, but not because I'm trying to be like him, but because he lives in me. He's producing fruit that ought to look like himself. Love, mercy, kindness, goodness, grace, all the things that the Holy Spirit will produce ought to make us look like him. It wouldn't be a brash statement. It wouldn't be arrogant for us to make that kind of statement. But then there are these, he just begins to plow this fur even deeper. In my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will tell you right now, I wouldn't begin to know what he goes to do to prepare a place for us. My mind says heaven's already kind of fixed. I don't know what he would have to do to prepare a place for us. But then you kind of take this one step back and say, my provision of heaven had to be prepared by his blood. I have no access to that place outside of the blood of Jesus. What he was going to do was 100% to lay a road in front of me, a road of preparation in front of me, so that on the day that I'm saved, on the day that I finally go home, that the place will have been prepared. I don't think there was any building necessary. I don't think there was any cleaning done to give us access to that home a great deal to do. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Whether I go, you know, in the way you know. He's saying, you already know this stuff. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not where you're going. How can we know the way? I mean, Thomas is expressing everything that each one of them was imagining. And Jesus said unto him, I am the way. Our minds become so literal. Thomas was saying, Lord, I understand there's fixing to be a distance between me and you. And I don't know the way to get to you. And Jesus' simple answer was, Thomas, I am the way. I am the road. Again, not an easy shift for any of us. Because the way, the road, what the map would tell us, is usually not a person. But Jesus is telling them very specifically, very clearly, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. And again Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will satisfy us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Would it be arrogant for us to say that? 
would it be arrogant for those words to come out of our mouth? I sure hope not, because all the preparation that God did so that Jesus could say that, he also did for us so that we could say that. It's not arrogance. It ought to be a self-evident reality that we don't have to tell anybody that that statement should be true. Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. It's not easy to step into the fullness of these statements. We marginalize them strangely. I'll give you this example, and this is, a, this is probably not a fair one to use, but this, is, this one's on my heart. On Sunday morning, in my sharing with you what Rhea and Amanda said to me, there is a real challenge in that because everything has got to be carved back to this one reality. They were ministering to me. These weren't announcements to the church. They were ministering to me because the Holy Spirit knew the condition of my heart. Everything said has to be held in that context. It could be badly misunderstood if it's not in that context. But one of those things that I shared with you all on Sunday morning, the hardest one to hold in context was this, that the lion doesn't care about the opinion of the sheep. That can sound very much like I, I can do what I want and have no regard for anybody else here. But the strange part of that is that I'm not the lion, and I am the lion. In and of myself, I have no roar. But Jesus, who is that lion, God, who does have that roar, if he has come to live in me, if he has come to take up residence in me, then I don't have to disqualify myself from recognizing when they said that they were talking about me as the lion. As long as I know that the only reason I get to be the lion is because the lion has chosen to come and live in me and to live in you. So if that's true, I don't have to hesitate. I don't have to, to stumble over the words that I stumble over to tell the truth that the Holy Spirit spoke because in the context of what he said, ministering to me was that the lion has come under an anointing to live in you. And when you obey him, you don't go out and pursue opinions to see if his obedience should be followed. If Jesus is making these statements, and at this point, even after all they've known and all he's demonstrated, they're still a little confused as to how this story is going to end. I promise you, they didn't see the crucifixion coming. They weren't prepared for what he was trying to tell them was fixing to transpire in just a few days. Verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. He does the work. Tremendous good news. Man, that is such a relief. When they told me, the, again, when I, when I sat down in my office, I, went, I, I did not expect to be ministered to. I was kind of going to give them, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, just have a conversation like we've done in the past. You know, the first time they came, we sat back there. The next time they came, we sat in here and we prayed for just a few minutes. And I thought that was what was going to happen. And that was working in my head for about a minute and a half. And I realized that was not what was going to happen. One of the first things they told me is that the work was done. From here on out, it's easy. 
that was pretty exciting news. I can do easy, I think. <laughs> verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And we stumble over that badly. And that was hard to come to grips with. Jesus just made a statement that you and I, I think it's what he said, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater work than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. There's a place, I guess, within all of us, we're going to have to wrestle that to the ground personally and say, I either believe that or I don't. Now, we've been taught well enough to know that I don't get to pray without the sovereignty of God, without the mind of Christ. I don't get to pray for those things that I want to pray for. I don't get to put before God a wish list. The Holy Spirit is my guide in all things I pray for so that I'm praying in agreement with his will. In that agreement, we find the miracle of this truth. The Bible tells us we pray amiss because most of the time we pray for the selfish things of our own life. He makes that point very, very well. You know, I, I sat last night, I didn't sleep much last night, so I went to the website for Seven Trumpet Ministry, and I listened to the entirety of Amanda's testimony. Man, that's something. You ought to just go listen. It's, she shared a lot of it, but there's just a lot of detail in there that she didn't share. When George W. was inaugurated for the first time in, in uh, 2001, they had a vision that she was supposed to blow the shofar seven times during that inauguration. And uh, they had no idea. But she said Maria was in Tennessee and somehow, in some office, received five tickets to the inauguration right in front. And so they're inaugurating George W. And as uh, soon as it's over, she starts blowing the shofar. And she said the most interesting thing was that nobody saw them. thought it was angels. They became invisible. Nobody could see them. Very interesting reality. But when you hear that, when you hear these things, when you hear these great mysteries and the supernatural reality of what God does, it does in each one of us something that it's supposed to do. It either builds our faith and says, yes, Lord, or the question just gets bigger and we say, how, how ridiculous. I'm very grateful to be able to worship with a group of people who hear those kind of stories and, hear, and say, yes, Lord. What relationship does, have your way. Whatever you want, just have your way. And I just pray that he keep finding our hearts big enough to believe him when he says, ask in my name, in agreement with me, and I'll do it. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come together and just read such a beautiful passage. It doesn't need commentary. It doesn't need comments. It just is beautiful. Because we know, Lord, there's some very intimate things in these last days and last hours of your life that you're sharing. And I pray, Lord, that they would just sink down within us, find a home within our spirit, so that we we will recognize not only what you were saying about you, but what you were telling us about us, that we will do even greater things. I pray, Lord, that that dream would would form in our hearts, that you have made a promise that we, too, can do those things 
if we put our faith and believe and trust in you. Just thank you for teaching us and letting us see with such clarity the heart that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.